0: Welcome to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast by Scott L. Wyatt, president of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. To subscribe to this podcast, please visit www.suu.edu forward slash president's podcast, where you will find both the audio and a written transcript for today's podcast. Hi again, everyone, and welcome to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast featuring Scott L. Wyatt, the president of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. I'm your host, Steve Meredith, and I'm joined today in studio, as I always am, by President Wyatt. Scott, hello again.
1: Hello, Steve. It's good to be here today.
0: We've got to stop meeting like this. (laughs) That's right. We are in the midst of a run of podcasts about upcoming challenges facing Uh, Higher education generally, in regards to enrollment, and um, a sense and a lot of data backing up that sense that we are entering a new phase of higher education where there are a number of really significant challenges to us. And uh, so we have a, we actually are branching out a little bit, and we have a guest who can help us understand financially what is facing higher education in terms of uh, significant challenges and why don't you introduce him
1: thanks steve yeah we are delighted to be joined today with um, our podcast by michael osborne who is a vice president and senior analyst with moody's investor service and mike you're joining us from your office in new york city thank you so much welcome
2: Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted to, uh, to participate in the, in the podcast and uh, contribute in any way that I can.
1: So we, I think the three of us understands exactly what um, business Moody's is in and what investor service means, but why don't you talk a little bit about um, credit ratings and worthiness of borrowers and what it is that Moody's is, is doing for that?
2: Yeah, sure. It's a, it's a question that my family constantly asks. What exactly <laughs> is it you do? <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, for some, I just you know, I really uh, dumb it down, and, and it's almost a fabrication because I can't explain it uh, easily enough. But but um, you know, Moody's provides credit ratings um, for uh, you know myriad of, uh, institutions, uh, you know, for uh, not for profit, public, uh, sovereign, sub sovereign, and, and the like. And um, in my particular space, we work with, uh, we're in the public finance group of of Moody's and we work specifically with, uh, my team works specifically with universities and uh, I I should say not-for-profit universities um, and other not-for-profits like cultural institutions, uh, research institutes, foundations and the like. And um, just like uh, we would go out and, and, and shop for a, a mortgage or maybe a car loan, you know, universities do the same. And they borrow for things like uh, dormitories and, and science buildings and football stadiums and, and so on. And sometimes the more economical decision, decision uh, and when, when, when deciding to, to finance those, uh, those uh, projects, comes down to to borrowing, and so we're providing investors with um, a degree of confidence in on on a university's um, uh, ability to uh, repay that debt in full, um, and, and and that's the you know sort of the gist of what we do, and that involves a um, sort of a complex set of of uh, a wide degree of sort of analysis uh, applying different metrics and and so on, both qualitative and, and quantitative.
1: Which which. Um... What becomes relevant about that for our discussion today is just that Moody's has taken a little bit more of a negative outlook in terms of higher education uh, nationally and softened that this year a little bit. But um, your view of the creditworthiness of institutions of higher education has changed over time. Can you talk to us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, sure. And it's important to note, too, that um, our outlook, and so one piece of what we, one part of what we do is publish research, um, sector-specific research, sometimes um, university or college-specific research, and try to provide sort of extra intelligence into the market in, in terms of what we're thinking and, and, and what we think lies ahead. And our outlook um, is an examination of business conditions. And so um, while it can have, um, while, while those business conditions can directly and, and, and indirectly influence credit quality. Um, it's not necessarily an indication of credit quality, but 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 the broader business conditions that affect the sector. So I just want to uh, establish that first. But uh, and, and you're right. Uh, we've had a negative outlook on the higher education, education sector for the last couple of years. Um, so if you look at our December publications leading into 2018, 2019, that outlook was negative. And, and, and just recently we moved to stable. And, you know, I would say while we moved it to stable, um, it's not that um, we think everything is uh, substantially better and um, uh, that, that, that the sort of the, the challenges are over. Um, in fact, this report doesn't shy away from many of the challenges that are facing the sector. It's that um, we think that there is um, stability in this, quote unquote, new normal of higher education. And by new normal, I mean uh lower revenue growth and uh we'll say stability in in, in enrollment and while the net tuition revenue and when, when, when one of the sort of you know financial uh, indicators that we're looking at when when thinking about credit quality would be you know growth in net tuition revenue and it also it also influences the outlook but the growth in that very important revenue line um you know is growing it's growing very modestly um, what our stable outlook is getting to is that while, you know, we think that, that growth in net tuition revenue will continue to grow modestly, at this point in, 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 in 2020, we think it will be nicely offset by uh, pretty solid growth in state funding uh, for, for public universities, of course. Uh, it will be offset nicely by growth in research dollars, um, largely by the uh, federal agencies that provide most of the support. We think that the investment mark growth in the investment market is providing a nice uh, sort of buoy for for endowment spending over the next couple of years. Um, and, and that has a direct correlation with fundraising, you know, philanthropy and, 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 and that support for universities continues to grow nicely, albeit stronger for some, you know, some benefit more than others uh, with that. But by and large, that that revenue item is sort of growing um, at a nice at a nice pace. And then for those uh, that have patient care exposure, like uh, University of Utah, for example, in, in, in the state of Utah, uh, patient care revenues by and large are, are growing nicely and, and academic medical centers and healthcare enterprises are con- contributing favorably uh, to cash flow. And So to all those other revenue, those non-tuition revenue items that we see growing um, at, a, at, a, at a healthy rate or at least steady rate, um, that is a not a direct offset to net tuition revenue growth, but a nice complement to a more challenged, um, you know, tuition revenue environment. So that's a very long-winded answer. I apologize for taking a couple of minutes there, but <laughs> no. um, I'm trying to squeeze it all in. And maybe, maybe from there, we can delve into some more specifics. But I hope that helps.
1: <laughs> no, that's good. So the um, what's interesting is is that we see that tuition costs continue to go up, but the discounting of condition of tuition continues to increase as well. And uh, with the declining um, enrollments projected out um, in the country generally, um, that's leading to this challenge of revenue.
2: Absolutely. And the discount rate is something we're paying close attention to. You know, it is a, a number that can be interpreted in many different ways and, you know, where we think it has a lot of applicabilities in the private university, private college environment where um, it would be hard to, um, if, you know, they, they don't have state funding, for example, that might be funding, say, uh, like flat uh, charges, right, flat tuition growth. Um, you know, Many states are holding back universities' abilities to grow or to charge more. So you might see net tuition revenue, or I'm sorry, a discount rate be affected by that, but then you have that sort of being funded or offset by state funding. Private universities don't necessarily have that. Um, And and, and in most cases, the rising discount rate is a function of of market pressure. And, um, you know, like you said, growing discount rates. And it's interesting because, you know, why do private universities continue to increase tuition? only to just count it all away, and, um, uh, and I'm speaking about a subset of, of private universities, uh, more, more so the smaller, uh, more regional private universities, more private colleges that don't have uh, a larger national draw um, and maybe less wealth. And you know, it's a tough. Um, you know, maybe we get into that in another question, but this idea of you know pricing resets and you know whether or not that would work. Um, can the market bear that? Can an institution bear that? What does it say optically about your institution? Um, so that discount rate is certainly something we're paying attention to. And, and, and directly related to that would be net tuition per student. Um, and so, you know, some schools are growing enrollment. They have more students in their seats, uh, but they're discounting it at a, at, a, at a very high rate. And so net tuition per student is declining. And so essentially you're you're growing, and at the same time, you might be growing that tuition revenue, those, those net dollars. But you're doing that um, through a sort of a volume play. Um, and the value that's placed on the institution um, is sort of less, and it's evidenced by students' um, unwillingness to pay more for that same education.
1: Yeah, the students' unwillingness to pay more or the need to discount is reflective of the competitive world that we're in, with a declining number of students and um, universities that are built to grow or to be larger than what um, the the market will give them coming into the future.
0: You you mentioned Mike that that there are groups of colleges and universities and and in your summary you you refer to this that that have done very well in their, as as you have suggested in their research or they've done very well in growing their endowment and, and their investments in the, I, I don't know if our listeners know this, but colleges and universities generally have uh, funds that they keep on reserve and they invest those just like, uh, like individuals would invest and that, and that many universities have done well in their investments and have managed to grow a little buffer around themselves. But for, for colleges and universities that are not particularly wealthy and are not especially well situated in terms of uh being elite or uh in some way differentiating themselves from the competition this is going to be a tough era is that what you're saying absolutely
2: absolutely uh, the in those you know i guess one way to think about that is those schools that are, you know, most reliant on those tuition dollars, um, <laughs> growth or net. I mean, that those are the schools that will that will face the most challenges going forward. Uh, going forward, and you know, it's it's that adaptability that we're thinking about right now. Um, you know, schools address this, and so you know, in thinking about uh, you know the, the, as I mentioned, the net tuition per student, the amount that a student is going to pay if that's declining. Well, what is that indicative of? Is that um, is it a uh, value proposition? And, and so then why is that value pr- proposition not there? Um, uh, Steve, you mentioned, uh, uh, or Scott, uh, Scott, I forget who, who said this, but that there just simply be a lot of seats, right, to be filled and, and maybe not enough students to fill those seats. And so what is a college doing um, to, to fill those seats? Um, you know, you, one thing we're seeing, and, and this does influence the outlook the move to Stable, is that by and large, Colleges are doing a fairly good job at, at adjusting to this environment. And by adjusting, I mean, while revenue isn't growing very strongly, management teams are doing a fairly good job of cutting expenses, um, of, of sort of doing the things they need to do to, to realign the institution, um, realign the budget with the size of the institution. And that's difficult to do. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll pause there because I feel like I'm, I might be going down on a different road. But
1: No, I like the road that you've started down because um, the best thing about uh, slightly gloomy news or extremely gloomy news <laughs> is— Depending on where you are. Yeah, yeah is to understand it. And uh, what are you seeing—you you just mentioned what road some schools are going down. What, um, what are you seeing are the positive— um, reactions to all of these challenges? What are, what are institutions doing that are making them a stronger financial institution, stronger financial Yeah,
2: well, you know, one, you know I, I, I believe you can only cut your way to, to prosperity so long, all right? It's, it's hard to um, you can't cut your way to growth. Um, and, and not every institution is meant to grow. And, and so, you know, enrollment growth for, for growth sake isn't always the best path for an institution um, by keeping students uh, in the seats, you know, that I think that would be, um, mission critical. And, and so, you know, where we see schools combating some of those pressures, uh, the schools that are very good at identifying, um, uh, the, the, sort of the forward looking, or maybe even the current workforce needs of the state uh, they're operating in. And if you're private, maybe it's just the growing needs of, um, of, of today's student, but, but, um, for public universities, you know, that adaptability to, to workforce needs, it's, it's, um, that seems to be sort of mission critical. Um, but what can impede that transition or or, 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 or you know, uploading of, of, of new programs can be sort of this um, combative sometimes, we'll say sometimes combative um, or, or restraining sort of shared governance model in higher ed. And it's hard for colleges and universities to, to move swiftly, at least for most. And so it's those that sort of get it, um, understand the environment they're in, and collectively can come together and say, well, we need to add these programs. We need to take these programs offline. Um, you know, those schools are 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 well, or they're at least they have they're giving themselves a fighting chance. Um, it's, it's and so, what one thing that we're looking for are in, in management is is in management team's ability, and really just the the community at large, their ability to. Um. Understand what their students, what their environment needs. Um, the university's ability to address those needs, and you know, how quickly can they make changes to, to in order to do that? And, um, and at the same time, you know, what programs might need to be evaluated for removal? Um, and, and now that's where it can get a little sticky. But, but uh, you know, I think that is a is an interesting starting point.
1: Whenever we talk about um, business kind of decisions on campuses. Um, a lot of people get really nervous and upset because, um, for the most part, faculty and staff see themselves being in the middle of this grand mission to educate and uplift people, and a- a- as if it's uh, an organization completely independent from the realities of finances. Yeah. You know, a calling more than a yeah, job. Yeah, it's, and. Um, uh, whenever we talk about um return on investment or jobs we we occasionally get these responses that um no no we're above that you know this isn't a business this is not a business but
0: i used to have a used to have a guy that was our old cfo at the place where i used to work who would always read you would always respond to that by saying, "It is every two weeks, Buster. Every two weeks, it's a, it's a business. You've got That's to make right. payroll. That's <laughs> right." And uh, uh, it, it's uh, you. You in your summary, Mike, you you indicated this. You said governance is going to be a key factor, and and not only the willingness of of the universities to change, but the willingness of the the governing teams the the management teams to make hard decisions uh, which as you suggest are not, are hard for a variety of reasons they're hard personally and hard professionally and hard academically but they're also just hard because of shared governance and other things that we deal with in higher education um, but but you're you're thinking that those institutions that are adaptable more quickly will be able to buffer themselves better against this, this rising tide. Is that right?
2: Yeah. I, yeah, I do. I mean, I think those that, um, institutions that, um, um, sort of rely on, um, uh, students who are seeking, you know, a very sort of career specific um, outcomes, um, need the education to, you know, fit into those jobs. And so I, I think that, um, Absolutely, going to be uh, critical. Yeah, you know, and, and it can be difficult for. I mean, there's sort of the there's the operational side. There's there's the internal politics that might be at play that could um, impede uh, uh, on a university's ability to make programmatic changes. Even if you have the structure to do that to make those changes. And you know, then you want to make sure that you're not alienating other constituents like alumni. And, and this is where, you know, boards can get um, maybe, maybe boards are, are, are sort of um, an impediment to, to, to some of that growth. In that, if they attended that institution, a particular institution, and that institution started to change or evolve in a direction that um, so it of doesn't look like the place they attended. I mean, there are other factors at play and maybe it, maybe it creates, uh, some feathers at the board level. Um, maybe, uh, and maybe that's taken out in evidence through the lack of or reduction of, say, philanthropic support, right? Um, and so there are other ways that that can come to bear, um, and, and, and may limit, um, uh, an institution's ability to, to make those types of changes, you know, those changes that can maybe change the, 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 the sort of tradition of a place or the, you know the optics of a, of an institution.
0: You mentioned in the in the summary again. I'm sorry, I'm uh, talking about your the, the document here that yes. that Moody's mm-hmm. put out in the summary. You mentioned that there are a number of social factors at play, um, and that those social risks are going to continue to transform the sector and uh, workforce needs. We've already talked a little bit about one one of the things you mentioned is expanding online programs that. That give access to new types of learners, versus, uh, and and we've talked about this part in other podcasts. The the dip and and some would say a cliff, the demographic cliff for traditional aged, um, yeah. you know, high school seniors coming into college, if for lack of a better term, the eighteen to twenty two year old, and and do you see um, do you see that pursuit of the non traditionals, what we call them, non traditional student. Uh, and through online programs, is is that w- another way that universities can buffer themselves against against difficulties in the yeah. in the demographic shift?
2: I, I think so. it's It's working for some. It's working for many. Um, you know, and, and you know we haven't seen online education be as transformative as it as it was you know thought of it in the beginning. But it's certainly growing and, you know, a number of institutions, um, you know, regularly are communicating to me and and others here that, you know, it may be a decline in the traditional age student, as you mentioned, um, and, but, but solid growth in this online component. And, you know, we're seeing various structures in terms of how that's tailored. Um, some that are, excuse me, some that are, uh, building the infrastructure in-house. Um, they, have, uh, they're, 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 they have their their they have their sort of the university's platform, or maybe it's some other platform. But they're creating the content in house. They're using university faculty. Um, uh, the students are being recruited by university staff. Um, and and then there are other models that are sort of a not model, where um, an organization um, sort of invest in an in institution and uh, sort of takes on that liability, the financial liability, right. and they share in the growth, right? And they share in the, um, the tuition revenue that, that might come down the road. So they're different, and, and I'm sure there are other structures in between, but, but you know, these are working for some, certainly, um, and that gets to, um, uh, again, I think this ability to adapt to, to that demographic, as you mentioned the the, the, sort of the adult learner or, or, or those that are coming back into the education market to to further their their career or maybe complement what they already have and that's um, a nice way to do that
1: you've uh, you've got some understanding um, limited about southern Utah University but you have some understanding of other institutions in Utah such as the University of, of Utah Um. Give us kind of your sense about um, the Intermountain states area, uh, Utah, and our little region. What's what, any particular insights about our part of the world, unique from this Oh yeah, country? well,
2: yeah, sure. And I'm sort of going off um, memory here. I know you you live and breathe it every day, so you're <laughs> you'll know more <laughs> than me. Uh, but but. Um, You know, I think one thing that we found um, impressive about the environment in Utah is really a a couple of things. And and that is, you know, we sort of hear demographics at at Nauseam here, right? In in, in the Midwest and the Northeast, you hear it most in terms of the declining numbers of high school graduates. And, um, you know, conversely, in Utah, demographic environment seems quite vibrant um, for for that traditional college-age student. And um, you know the universities we work with in the state, and, and just others we observe, are 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 you know seem to be doing quite well, and in stark contrast to, to to many others, and um, and that's coupled with you know a very supportive state. So you have a, a, a you know we talked about credit quality in the beginning, you have a state of Utah that is, has that holds our highest rating of AAA, and um, it does a very good job of supporting in our minds supporting higher ed in um, through a couple of ways and, and one is through you know growth in operating appropriations and another is through um, you know, capital support you know, paying for for you know various buildings and so on and so it's a combination of those two things that you know complement growth in students quite nicely and so this, this sort of culminates in this very healthy environment. Um, do you feel the same or is it am I, am I off base? Um, no no minutes, I know exactly minutes, right. But,
1: no, I think yeah. we, feel, we feel very fortunate to be here. The the state's economy is um, booming, and, um, and we're the beneficiaries of that. And we've seen a lot of growth uh, in students coming out of high school, coming to our school. Uh, SUU has grown 51% in the last five years, so we've seen yeah. incredible growth. But we've also uh, been increasing our discount rate so that Um, It's more affordable for students. That's been a big question in Utah, not just the question of discounting tuition, but the question of um, what can students afford, you know, and and there's a couple ways to approach that. One is to just reduce your tuition. Another way is to increase scholarshiping for need-based students or for um, academic achievers. And, but we but what we've seen in Utah is similar to around the country the the birth rate has dropped in Utah That's right. But we're behind. Even even we are
0: now under replacement rate I think in Utah.
1: But we're, yeah for the we're, very first time, yeah. One of the advantages we have is is um our economy is really charging forward and another advantage is that um we are um able to watch what's happening around the country right. with the declining enrollments before that, uh, before it hits us. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Mike, but
2: one then,
1: of, and, but then also one of the challenges we've got is with this booming economy is that a lot of people will graduate from high school and then, and then just take off to, to work. Um, Absolutely. rather yep. than getting when a, rather that. than getting a degree. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We're seeing
2: that. Uh, around the country as you mentioned it's that trade off between you know a dollar now and a dollar later and and uh,
1: yeah that's right in a
2: strong economy um students are making that choice and you know as we it will be interesting to see, you know it can be cyclical and so if we approach um a downturn you know that may reverse right it, it could
1: yeah, it could in salt lake county we're seeing um a decreasing percentage of uh, res- the, along the whole Wasatch Front, which is our main uh, population center in Utah, and we draw a lot of students from there, we're seeing a decreasing percentage of of uh, people going to college. Um, which, and if they, can, if they can jump in and get a great job, that's awesome for them because there's a lot of jobs available right now. But when the economy changes or when there's a recession, the, those with a bachelor's degree fare much, much better. Cool. Um, so, we're still selling. <laughs> we're still selling what we're what we've got, and we feel very positive um, for the next number of years. But we're um, we're keeping our eyes open and, and making sure that we um, are prepared for whatever may happen.
0: And and Mike, yeah. since since your job as an analyst is at least in some respect to forecast what the future may be, uh, is it, as I look at your, um, what could change the outlook summary is the biggest fear just nationally that, that we've been riding a, a bubble here. We haven't had a really major correction. We haven't, we haven't had another, uh, another big recession. Um, is that the, is that the primary thing that that could really set things tumbling if, um, if market, if you're, if if you were going to change from, from stable to negative, is is that the thing that, that would most likely tip us from one to the other? Or, or what do you uh, think? You
2: know, I wouldn't say most likely. I mean, it certainly is a, it would be a, yeah, it'd be a big component of it. Um, you know, but we've seen the resiliency before. And so, you know, it, you know, and it's interesting because at the outset, we talked about those that are, you know, the, the, the wealth, the very wealthy institutions. Um, I mean, it's really those institutions that will feel the pinch more than others. Um, we published some research, I believe it was earlier this year, uh, maybe late last year, um, on, and we conducted some sensitivities around this. And so if you took the, the wealthiest, you know, 30 schools or so, and, you know, they took a, say a 30% haircut on their wealth, you know, and, and what, what is the trickle-down effect of that, and, and, and would they, you know, could they survive that? And, you know, by and large, most would survive it, you know, they're, they're, we think most would survive it uh, without having to make any sort of drastic changes to their business model. Um, that's assuming that, you know, eventually there's a rebound um, <laughs> I mean, at some point. Um, but um, if that were to be, you know, if that were to sustain for a long period of time, um, I'm, I'm sure it would. Um, but yeah, that certainly could, um, because there are other effects to that. I mean, if if if, if, if that happens, if that predates a recession, um, then what does that do to um, income and in, in, in a state and the taxes associated with it? And, and now you're talking about state budgets, and do states now start holding back on those nice appropriation increases that we were talking about earlier? And so it's it's sort of the you know the the, the direct and indirect effects of something like that. Um, and, and so that's what we would be looking for. You know, the, the, uh, uh, sometimes agencies of the state can be the first to take a hit if, if, if state budgets go south. And so, um, we'd be, you know, paying c- careful attention to, to how that affects higher ed. Um, and, and then, you know, I would say in addition to that investment market pullback, um, you know the net tuition revenue growth. I mean, it's certainly it's certainly modest. Something we're going to be paying that we always pay close attention to. But interestingly, as 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 you just mentioned, Scott, if 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 we approach this recessionary environment, it could actually have then a, a benefit on the enrollment side, um, and and so uh, right. it could be a, a nice boost. So um, how that would how right. that would manifest itself uh, on a university's budget uh, remains to be seen because now you know, as the affordability question now comes into greater play and the state's not funding, then you, you get my drift.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's
2: a big puzzle. And it so is. it's really sort of how all the dots connect um, in that environment. But yes, yeah, that certainly would not be a, 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 a good um, um, support mechanism for a stable outlook, you know, if, if the market were to, you know, it's such a volatile investment market right now. And it's hard to know. Um, I and mean, we don't know no I mean, I don't think anyone knows what it will do but but um there's certainly no shortage of opinions and and you know we think that the risks of a recession are there um we're not certainly we're not, we're, not, we're not predicting one um but um you know, I think the market is certainly doing well and um, it's uh, it's been a long stretch <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> it been has. a long stretch it's it been, has.
1: been yeah it's, it's yeah. um and and when you when you think of uh, what happens during recessions, and and then less jobs, and and people choose to go to college rather than work because the jobs aren't there, and they want to do something meaningful, productive that can prepare them. For the institutions that are very heavily dependent on tuition dollars for their budgets, um, that has a more positive effect on them. For those institutions that have. Um, that are more dependent on state appropriations for their budgets. Um, when you hit these recessions, there's less tax revenue being collected. So
0: um,
1: yep, that's which, right. what's good for us in one time is right. not so good for us in another time. And
0: For 20 years, I was in the community college system in Arizona. And, and when the economy would roar in the Phoenix area, we would all shrug our shoulders and say, no students are showing up. And then when, <laughs> and, and then, when the economy there, which was driven largely by by building uh, you know the, the construction and all that stuff, when that would flag, all of a sudden we had all these students, but there were no uh, there were no property tax to collect, which is how we survived. so so it was always uh, it, it was always there was plenty of bad news to go around. It didn't matter what but, the economy no, yep, did, Denver you know? That's right, challenge. That's
1: right. <laughs> It's very compli- yeah. very complicated. Yeah. yeah. Well, what would be your um, what is the what is the biggest takeaway for us? What would you suggest to us for our oh, financial health?
2: We're, well, we're um, <laughs> unfortunately we can't give uh, you know we're not in the business of giving advice. Um, oh, okay. but I would but um, make it gen- yeah well. So, but but you know when. You know, I I guess what I would say is, you know, what we're looking for, right, and what we're seeing. And and, and that is, and I I sort of harken back to what I said earlier about um, business adaptability, business flexibility. Um, uh, It's, you know, so we, and this is interesting, if you you think about um, your institution and, you know, in a a potential recession environment, um, let's say that has a positive impact on enrollment. Um, but you haven't, um, let's say you don't have the, you have to ramp up the infrastructure for that enrollment growth. And, and, and I don't necessarily mean uh, buildings, but people. And, right. and so, you know, I think one, we didn't really talk about this yet, but one thing that we think is interesting and as we think about location is those universities that are located in an urban environment. And so, so they're capitalizing in a lot of different strengths. Um, but one of those is um, is, is access to maybe uh, we'll call it adjunct adjunct faculty, right?
1: Yep, that's and, right. And those
2: that can commit and and teach in a in a uh, sort of a temporary capacity and and sort of limit the university's exposure to to employment contracts and so on. And and so I mean this is it's one example. Um, you know I want to bring back what I said earlier about about program uh, curriculum flexibility and the ability to. You know, um, you know. One thing that we're looking at is an institution's program review assessment period. How often are they assessing, uh, reviewing programs, and and what is the um, schematic for 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 uh, assessment and and maybe taking programs offline, adding programs, and so all of that really that that flexibility. And this this applies to the broader swath of of, of universities out there, um, and and so the. Uh, yeah, yeah use the word again, it's it's that it's that uh organizational flexibility, that responsiveness, um, to expand and contract, um, to understand um its its environment, um, to to be proactive rather than reactive, um and, 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 and sort of make those changes as they as they if maybe even before they come in and, and sort of seeing a little bit into the future. And so it's 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 really those things that we're keeping a keen eye
1: on. Thank you very much. It's been enjoyable talking to you.
2: Thank you. I appreciate it. it nice speaking with you as well.
0: You've been listening to Solutions for Higher Education, a podcast featuring Scott L. Wyatt, the president of Southern Utah University in Cedar City, Utah. We've had as our guest today, Michael Osborne. Mike is a vice president and senior analyst for Moody's Investors Service, and he joined us by phone from his office in New York City today. We thank Michael for joining us, and we thank you, our listeners, for tuning in. We'll be back again soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Solutions for Higher Education. To subscribe to this podcast, please visit www.suu.edu forward slash President's Podcast, where you will find both the audio and a written transcript of today's podcast. The original music for this podcast was composed by Jack Barton, a master's degree student in music technology at SUU. For more information about Southern Utah University, please visit www.suu.edu.